Know that we are connected in ways that are terrifying and beautiful. You could hardly deny it now. Know that our lives are in one another's hands. Surely that has come clear. Do not reach out your hands. Reach out your heart. Reach out your words. Reach out all the tendrils of compassion that move invisibly where we cannot touch. Promise this world your love for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, so long as we all shall live. So good to see you all. We have 169 participants, so, so glad to have people uh, joining us. I want to share with you a brief reflection, and then I'll, um, I'll be back again to share um, a, another part of that reflection later. Last Sunday, uh, many of you were here when we hosted, uh, over 200 of you total, when we hosted Bonte, who, uh, the Buddhist monk, who is Bonte Sujata, who's been here, this is his 10th year. Uh, this year, his Dharma talk that some of you may remember was titled, Suffering is Optional. Suffering is Optional. A week later, our world has shifted due to increased restrictions related to the coronavirus. And I'd like us to reflect a little bit more on that wisdom that Bonte shared with us from the Buddhist tradition. How might it continue to be a source of guidance for us, even as the world has changed? In the midst of a pandemic, what does it mean to say that suffering is optional? I'll start with a story. Some of you may have heard this before. Uh, it's from the meditation teacher Sharon Salzberg. It's from a time she was co-leading a retreat with the meditation teacher Go Joseph Goldstein. And a student came to them in the middle of this retreat. Everyone was supposed to be off meditating by themselves and came rushing up to them filled with anxiety. And the man said, I just had a terrible, terrible experience meditating. I felt this tension in my jaw, and suddenly I realized I'm an incredibly uptight person. I can't get close to everyone. I am going to be alone for the rest of my life. Joseph heard him. He took a deep breath in and out, and he said, I hear that you had some tension in your jaw. But the man plowed forward and said, I am pretty sure I am always going to be tense. I am never going to change. I feel hopeless. And Joseph took another deep breath. So I hear you saying that you felt some tension in your jaw. The man continued barreling down the path of misery for some time, all because of his sore jaw, until Joseph finally interrupted him and said, you are having a painful experience of feeling tension in your jaw. Why are you adding to that this horrible story about yourself? I'll say that last part again. You're having a painful experience already. You're noticing tension in your jaw. Why are you choosing to add on to that this terrible story about yourself? This experience parallels an ancient Buddhist teaching called the Aero Sutta which says that when hit with discomfort, we feel two afflictions, the inevitable physical feelings uh, and additional mental reactions. 
For instance, if I accidentally hit my elbow on the side of the pulpit, there would be inevitable physical pain. But there might also be additional mental reactions of putting myself down, you know, beating myself up for, for, for doing that, uh, calling myself names. That, that second part is what I, what you, what we have more control over. The Arrow Sutta invites us to imagine these two afflictions as two arrows, like bow and arrows in a quiver. We can't do anything about that first arrow that hits us if we you know, accidentally do something or something we didn't ask for comes to us. Sometimes, despite our best efforts, we're hit with inevitable physical afflictions. But the Arrow Sutta challenges us that we can practice letting go of those additional arrows of mental reactions instead of continuing to shoot them into ourselves. This teaching is often summarized as pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. In the Buddhist tradition, that word suffering is from the Pali language. It's a word um, called dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A. A better English translation of suffering is unsatisfactoriness. So we might better say that physical pain is sometimes inevitable, but unsatisfactoriness is optional. Now, I'll readily confess that learning to stop shooting those second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth arrows sometimes into myself, that's easier said than done. As the meditation teacher Jack Cornfield has put it, we can sometimes be quite loyal to our suffering. Does that resonate with anybody? We can sometimes be quite loyal to our suffering. Or we could translate it again as we are often quite loyal to keeping ourselves unsatisfied. It's not that we shouldn't change things that are negative and toxic. Rather, the invitation is to consider if we're sometimes making a bad situation even worse than it has to be. The good news is that learning different ways of being in the world, learning to grow spiritually, that's why we show up at UUCF week after week. That's why we show up, you know, even online, uh, e you know, even when we can't be here in person. We come here to be reminded to practice loving kindness with our imperfections. We come here to practice being more tender, more spacious, more respectful uh, in relationship to ourselves, to one another, and to this world. Um, a, a loving kindness practice um, that you can use is, you know, try even just putting, you can do this right now, try putting your hand on your heart or in your heart center and just notice any kind of suffering you're having right now and just say to yourself, just acknowledge it, this is a moment of suffering. This is a moment of unsatisfactoriness. And then acknowledge that unsatisfactoriness, suffering, that is part of the nature of existence. And then the third and final part is to set an intention, may I be kind with myself, with others, and this world amidst this unsatisfactoriness. Just pausing and doing that can really help. Just putting your hand on heart center and acknowledging this is a moment of suffering or unsatisfactoriness. Satis unsuffering and unsatisfactoriness, that is a part of life but may I be kind to myself and others and this world. Notice as well that I said to practice loving kindness with our imperfections. 
I'm not talking about doing all this so that we eventually reach some state of perfection. As you've heard me say before, quoting one of my colleagues, we are saved from perfection. There is no perfect that's going to work for you in all times and places. Some perfect that's going to work for all people in all times and places. Even experiencing what spiritual traditions speak of as enlightenment, that does not mean that you will be always perfect or pain-free. If you go back and read the teachings of the Buddha, who unlike you know, Jesus uh, lived to quite an old age. It writes about he had back pain. He had, you know, so like you, you see that being pain-free is not what we're talking about. It means experiencing greater liberation from optional suffering, from those additional arrows of mental reactions that we can sometimes shoot into ourselves. No matter what happens to us on our spiritual journey, impermanence and change will continue to happen to us all, enlightened or unenlightened. What changes is our relationship to what is happening to us. Awakening is about experiencing greater openness, greater freedom, greater equanimity to whatever is arising in our field of experience. In the words of Vince Horn, one of my meditation teachers, this, things like what is happening in the world right now, that's actually part of what we all who do engage in spiritual practices, that's what we've been practicing for. Uncertainty, suffering, birth, old age, sickness, and death, learning to work with these basic truths of life, learning to work with them with dignity, are you your first principle, learning to work with them with an open heart, with kindness, with compassion, that is what spiritual practices are ultimately all about. Now, I know that meditation isn't everyone's um, practice of choice, so even so, notice that there might be tools here in what I'm talking about that might be of use to you and or consider whatever practices you are drawn to. It could be cooking, art, yoga, exercise, science, whatever your jam. Uh, what might have parallel insights for you for such a time as this? Along these lines, I'm reminded of a quote from the Islamic Sufi mystic Hafiz. He used to say, fear. Fear is the cheapest room in the house, and I want to see you living in better conditions. So if you're finding yourself, it's not like you can't ever visit that fear room, but if you're just living in that fear place, I want you to have better conditions. Now, don't get me wrong, we should be appropriately afraid of this novel coronavirus, afraid for ourselves and or afraid especially for those who are particularly vulnerable. But what I'm cautioning against is being unduly afraid and anxious in ways that make the situation worse than it has to be, just keeping shooting those arrows of unsatisfactoriness into ourselves. To paraphrase a recent um, recommendation from Jack Kornfield, try addressing your anxieties and fears directly. Try speaking to them. Just say, you know, I'm noticing anxiety and fear arising. You know, thank you, anxiety and fear. I know that you are trying to protect me but I'm okay right now. Tell them I'm okay right now. And then take a few moments, pause, notice, uh, be grateful and savor uh, all the ways that statement is true for you right now and those closest to you, even if there are real problems. What are the ways that for you and for those you love, what is still okay in this present moment? Notice that and savor it. Don't forget that advice that we return to, I remind you about periodically from The Buddha's Brain, a book by Rick Hansen, that our brains evolved to be like Teflon for good things and Velcro for bad things. So our brains, the whole fixating on bad things part, they're on it. 
they've got it covered. Our brains are super good, like Velcro, at latching on to bad things. What we need to practice and be intentional about in, for such a time as this is that uh, is, is having them be uh, noticing that they're Teflon for good experiences. So try to gently remind yourself. You can put a post-it note up on your bathroom mirror or whatever if you want to wash your hands, but also to intentionally savor all that remains good with you in such a time as this, all that remains good for those you love and in this world. Even if just for a moment, be in the present as it actually is. As the Buddha said, not reviving the past, not hoping for the future. Instead, with insight, see each arising state, not craving after past experience, nor setting one's heart on future ones, not bound up in desire or craving. Just this, just this moment as it actually is. And beyond what the world is already hitting you with, if you find yourself shooting those second and third or op more optional arrows into yourself, try gently asking yourself, is this thought serving me? There is great liberation in realizing that we don't have to believe everything we think. We don't have to believe everything we think. And although I can't tell you exactly what's coming, uh, in the next days and weeks, I promise you, as with everything else, good or bad, this too shall pass. Again, in the words of the Buddha, whatever has the nature to arise has the nature to pass away. We can't stop the waves of change and impermanence from coming at us, but we can learn to better surf on those waves. And we don't have to figure it out alone. I'm so grateful to be together with all of you on this journey. I am grateful that we all have one another. It's a reminder that after the spoken meditation this morning, there will be a minute of silence. Earlier this week, I had cause to look up Rumi's poem, The Guest House. I looked it up for a reason that actually didn't have anything to do with our current pandemic. But as I read it again, I felt settled in heart and mind. Maybe you know this poem already, but please take a moment to close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing so and listen again, or for the first time. The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Right now, I feel like I'm being asked to share space with a lot of uninvited guests, worry, Isolation, the eternal temptation of scrolling to the next article and the next. And that's without even directly considering the uninvited guest of the moment, COVID-19. And that's without even considering all of the guests that Rumi names, the ones that show up 
and keep coming, whether we are sick or well, whether we are alone or together. When I think of the idea of a guide from beyond, what comes to mind for me is the way that the protective measures we're being asked to take are not for ourselves alone. On a grand global scale, we are invited to care for one another, to take care of those of us most at risk by limiting our exposure to one another. Perhaps we're cleaning out our houses literally, and perhaps we can take a moment to do it figuratively. Perhaps while we are home, giving space to our most vulnerable neighbors and the dedicated health professionals caring for those already ill, perhaps we can imagine a world together where we act in the interests of others. Perhaps we can welcome and entertain thoughts about a new world we can begin to glimpse, where public health makes us better neighbors, better friends, better humans. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. What a beautiful song for such a time as this. Ubi caritas et amor. Deus EBS, uh, where charity and love, where you're, wherever you see that, wherever you see love, wherever you see charity, that's where the divine is. Something to look for in the coming days, the way that Mr. Rogers used to say, look for the helpers, right? In the midst of a tragedy, look for the helpers. So we're going to, I'm going to share a second part that's a little more um, practical. Uh, so I will share my uh, screen with you. And maximize this. And so I want to talk just a little bit about meaning, hope, meaning and hope in the time of the correction, meaning and hope. The three things I invite you to consider um, doing, I want to invite you to practice letting go of what you can't change. And as some of you have heard me say before, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. So whatever you're practicing, you're inculcating, you're doing more of that. So it's not that you, you may not can let go um, of what you can't change the first time you try in the same way that you can't bench press your body weight the first time you go to the gym unless you have superhuman genes. So, but in the coming days, practice letting go of what you can't change. Some of you may know the serenity prayer. It's popular in the recovery community, but it actually is much older than that. It comes from a public theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr. It's the God, and you can take that God part out if you don't want that and just have it a statement of intention of just, may I you know, let go of what, maybe I have the, the uh, you know, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, right? So serenity about what you can't change, the wisdom, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference, as I <laughs> try to remember it off the top of my head. So let go of what you can't change. Get clear about what you can and can't change. Focus on what you can change. And finally, schedule activities unrelated to the coronavirus. <laughs> I, I beg you in the coming day and days and however long this lasts, please don't spend all of your time um, watching social media and news channels related to the coronavirus. Uh, schedule some other things each day. I'll say just briefly a little more about each term in turn. 
So on practicing letting go of what you can't change, if I had to recommend one book, there are lots of great books to read, but Pema Chodron's book, um, When Things Fall Apart, Hard Advice for Difficult Times is the book I would recommend. It's, uh, I've got a, hold on, I'll pick it up. So it's a, it's a tiny book. Uh, it's only uh, 187 pages. So consider reading this, or if, you haven't, if you've read it before, maybe read it again. But I think you'll find a lot of wisdom in that book. On focusing on what you can change, I encourage you, as we've been saying, support your immune system in the coming days. Get enough sleep to the extent that's available to you. Eat healthy. Drink fluids exercise and do spiritual practices there's a lot of things available online meditation yoga other, whatever you know helps you manage stress plan an elaborate meal whatever you know read a novel uh, to give you just three questions um, ask yourself what reality-based problems do I need to solve today reality-based, right? The ones you can do something about, not the hypothetical problems. Uh, and this sometimes, uh, M. Scott Peck used to define sanity and insanity as sanity is in touch with reality and insanity is increasingly out of touch with reality. So just try to be really reality focused and, and focus on what you can make a difference on. Ask yourself, what is the best time of day for me to read the news to update myself? And I encourage you to consider that once an hour is not the best time of day for you to read the news to update yourself. I put there in notes Dorothy Day, uh, because Dorothy Day, uh, it always stood out to me that she had this practice. I mean, talk about someone who was really engaged every day in Catholic worker houses with serving the poor and the least of these and trying to change the world. But she would read the paper once a week on Sunday. Because she decided, you know, I don't need to read the news every day. I can just check in once a week and not that much has changed often. Now, you may want to check in once a day. You may want to check in twice a day. But I encourage you to just notice how many times a day is it really serving you to check the news. And the third and final question, how can I be a resource to others without becoming over-responsible for them? I call this the both and. Asking yourself, What's most important both for myself and others? You both matter in, for such a time as this and really always. Both and what matters for you and the other person. These are all from, you can Google this. I'll, I'll have all this available on our website. But Kathleen Smith is a therapist in D.C. You can Google 20 questions to help with COVID-19 anxiety. These are just three that particularly stood out to me of her 20. Finally, schedule activities unrelated to the coronavirus. In particular, you know, we're really not supposed to be in crowded places. So it turns out outside is very well ventilated. So at least as we understand it for right now, you know, you may want to stay three to six feet away from other people. But if you can, if it, again, if it's available to you, spend some time outside every day and or on other activities, whatever it is that puts you in the zone, that puts you into flow, whether that's, again, cooking or art or reading or schedule blocks of activities unrelated to the coronavirus that put you in flow. Uh, and related to getting outside, I'm going to close this section with a poem by Wendell Berry called The Peace of Wild Things. It's about, you know, psychology is showing us that nature is incredibly healing. You know, it can be an incredible therapy just being out in nature. So I invite you to hear these words from Wendell Berry. The Peace of Wild Things. 
when despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear, in fear of what my life and my children's life may be, I go and I lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water. And I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. And for a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Please get outside, spend some time in nature in the coming days.